Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. Embracing what's fun about Connecticut indeed. I did that this week. If you didn't hear me at all during the morning, well, that's because I had the week off. And, you know, it was refreshing. It was great. Um, I didn't go anywhere when I was off in the summer. I did go elsewhere. However, this week I stayed home in Connecticut and enjoyed what I could find here in the state, which is plenty. I had plenty to do and a lot of relaxation. Waking up at 3 a.m., I do like it, and it doesn't necessarily get me tired during the week. However, when I don't have to do it, it is always refreshing. And so a few times this hour, I'll talk about some of the experiences that I had this week, all of which were really fun. And I started the week off with a trip to West Hartford to explore Le Maze. That's a new restaurant located on Farmington Avenue, 975 Farmington Avenue to be exact. If you remember about two months ago on Spotlight Connecticut, we talked about what used to be located at 975 Farmington Avenue in West Hartford, and that would be Arthusa, which was an ice cream restaurant that apparently ceased operations at that location over the summer. They still exist in Litchfield and Bantam. However, the West Hartford operation for Arthusa came to a halt at some point this summer. It might have been June, I believe. Uh, that's what I remember it being back in June. They closed, and in came Lumaze. However, there remains a partnership between the current owner of Lumaze and also Arthusa. Arthusa providing them with cream. Arthusa providing them with ice cream. They have freezers, in fact, where you can go get some of that ice cream. They have a dessert menu that features, again, that ice cream that made Arthusa not only popular, but famous in that area as well as other parts of Connecticut. Lumaze, though, what is it? They specialize in French comfort food. I always feel like there are a ton of options for Italian. You know, there's always somewhere to go for Chinese food. As for French, though, I think that the options are somewhat limited, um, at least for good French food. And I would say that this was pretty good. And it was a different experience. I think that the biggest problem they have, though, is the seating. Because inside, they can only seat about 50. Outside, it appears that they could seat about 25. But on a day like this, when it's raining, and um, certainly in the winter months, that outdoor dining is not necessarily as viable. I'd imagine that they probably have only a few more weeks, maybe, in West Hartford, where they can actually have people outside and having a good meal. In fact, I went there last Sunday night, and it was chilly enough that people were outside, and they had the heaters going outside, and they had people seated, and everybody who was seated was wearing a jacket. But for me personally, it was a little too chilly to be outside for a prolonged period of time and actually enjoying um, a meal and uh, meeting with other people. They also have a bar space, and I believe that the bar, from what I counted, seats about 12, maybe 15 people. So it's a good size, but the problem is there's been so much word of mouth spreading about this place, and there's been a lot of excitement because of the closure of Arthusa and people wondering, oh my goodness, what's going to be going into this location, that I think that the struggle for Le Maze is getting past this initial excitement. Maybe the initial excitement does not let up, um, but they were quite busy, and we did have a bit of a wait they were accommodating to us. What we could have done was give them our phone number, and then they would call you or text you 
Maybe as you go around and shop up and down Farmington Avenue, there are other things to do in the area. Um, however, it's first come, first served, no reservations. And so we ended up waiting about 40 minutes. While we waited, they brought us some pommes frites, French fries. So if I had any one criticism, I would say that they've got to figure out what to do with this wait period. But as for the meal itself, fantastic. I would say it was actually worth the wait. I had Coco Vendel sauce all those years taking French five years in middle school into high school. It paid off, right? Coco Vendel sauce. Um, it's basically a stew. It's a half chicken from what I can conclude. Uh, there was a lot of meat. I wouldn't say it was a whole chicken. I'd say it's a half. It's a hearty stew. It's thick. It's got vegetables, including my favorite pearl onions that took me by surprise. Crisp croutons on top that when you stir it into the stew, those croutons actually soften. And the friend that I was with said it best that when you take a bite of that stew, those um, those croutons aren't in every single bite. In other words, you might go two or three spoonfuls without having one, and then you have a spoonful with that crouton in the soup, and it just adds I think the right amount of difference, a right amount of texture, and um, not necessarily flavor, just a change of texture enough to keep you interested in having some more. They serve it in a pot. They have a smaller pot, which is for individual, and they have a larger pot, which is for sharing. We ended up doing the larger pot, and it yielded four large soup bowls at the restaurant, enough to take home afterwards, in fact, two. And you saved $2 by doing the sharing pot instead of the individual one. And so I would say that it was a delicious experience. The seating itself, I think, uh, could use a little bit of work, but not too much. Um, I was surprised that there was no escargot. I don't see a lot of escargot anywhere. I was quite excited and hopeful that it was on the menu, but it was not. So if you go there thinking that they have escargot at this point in time, they don't. But they've been open about a month. I'd say that they're off to a fantastic start. I invited them on Spotlight Connecticut, so who knows? There might be a show with Lumaze in West Hartford. Check them out at 975 Farmington Ave. This is WTIC in Hartford. Hi, I'm Gemma from Ireland, and I'm listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. That's one of my favorites, Gemma, who visited Connecticut from Ireland, in fact. Recorded one of those drops for me on Spotlight Connecticut. Welcome back to the show, Morgan Cunningham. And now we have a guest on the line. Her name is Jackie Scoville, and she's a runner who has accomplished something rather unusual and difficult to actually accomplish. Uh, and she's done it here at home in Connecticut. Jackie, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, I'm always amazed by people who run because I personally was never a good runner. And I think that this is a gift that some people have and others don't. Um, and it definitely appears to me that you have the gift of running because you've been running for many years and you just ran in every single town in Connecticut. We're going to get into that. But Jackie, I want to know as I bring you on the show, how old were you when you were interested initially in running? About 25. Okay. 25 years old, yep. Now, Jackie, tell everybody, where are you from? You're from Connecticut, right? I am initially from Massachusetts, and I live currently in Torrington. Okay. What brought you to Connecticut? My husband. 
(laughs) That's how it works. Yeah. Now, you started running a little later in life. A lot of people tell me that they're interested, you know, maybe in middle school or high school, but you were especially interested at age 25. Some would say that's a little later. So how did you get started with that? Well, to be honest, I was always active with, you know, sports and doing things. You know, I was running, but I could never run like even one mile. Um, And then I met my husband. And I was living in Worcester at the time, and we ran a race up there. And I said, well, okay, I'm, I'm all right at this. And I've been running ever since. So it's actually been because of my husband who got me into running. He's been running even longer than I have. Jackie, if you weren't always great at running, but you were athletic to a degree, um, I'm curious, how did you condition yourself to finally make that mile and then eventually two miles and so on? I think it was... Um, it was slow. It was very slow. I remember um, really feeling out of breath and thinking, there's no way I can do this. And one day at a time, slow, step by step, and eventually I just ended up being able to run a, a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, and I just kept going from there. At some point, you joined a group of other runners, and the goal of everybody that's in this group is actually to run a race in every town in Connecticut. Correct? Correct, yes. Wow. There are 169 towns in the state. And you've run now in all of them? Yes, and I started round two. (laughs) You're crazy. You're going for more punishment. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Jackie, tell everybody, how did you find this group? I don't recall exactly how I found this group. I think it might have been maybe an article in the paper I'm not exactly sure, but I signed up. I thought, this sounds really interesting. So I signed up, and I never did anything with it until about a year later. um, I ran into a man by the name of Charles Merlis, who was wearing a tutu and no shirt and a butterfly um, wings on the back, which made me ask him, you know, just started a conversation with him. And he said, you know, you really should join Run 169. You should run it. I mean, join it. And I said, well, you know what? Um, I think I'm already in that. I'm pretty sure I already signed up for that, and I just had forgotten about it. And so that day I went home, and I started uh, looking at the whole thing, and and I haven't stopped since. What was the first town that you ran in? The first town I ran in, I think it might have been Sherman, but my very first town I ran was in Worcester. Yeah, okay. in Massachusetts, so that didn't count. But as far as running in Connecticut to reach this goal, you were in Sherman, you believe? I believe it was Sherman. I had already had about 40 towns under my belt with this. Um, so you're allowed to count those when you first sign up. And as long as you've got proof that you it was timed and it was official, and then you can count it. So I came in having about 40 towns already um, listed. So my first town after that, I believe, was Sherman. When you say that the race has to be timed and it has to be official, is this something uh, like a big official race, like maybe the Hartford Marathon, or could it just be you running and your husband is timing it? No, you can't do that. It must be timed by a director, a race director. It has to be at least one mile. It has to be outside, and it has to be within the borders of Connecticut. 
Okay. So I think that's pretty much it. And all you have to do is just show up and run. You don't have to pay to get into this. You just join it. And it's, it's amazing. I was the 175th member to join, and now there are over 4,500. And so it's this group that's organizing these runs, correct? No, it's races that are in the town, in the state. Okay. It's actually road races that are, like I just did Hartford. Um, that's, that was my number one for round number two. Okay. Now, if we look at eastern Connecticut, there are a lot of small towns in eastern Connecticut, particularly Wyndham County, and uh, the populations aren't huge, and they're not necessarily tourist destinations, although they're beautiful towns. Was it ever hard to find races in small towns like maybe Basra or Franklin or places like that? Absolutely. Um, That is a a tough situation when they have no no races, and we call those towns elusive. So they have one or two races a whole year, and that's it. And so what happened for me was this year I went into this um, year having, I think it was 165 towns. And so I had to have four more towns to finish. And each one of those towns were elusive. And Canterbury, Franklin, um, Middlefield, and Lisbon were the four towns that I needed. And fortunately, this year they had races, and it just worked out for me. Um, so, but yes, it's very hard. So what we do sometimes, somebody will, we have a lot of race directors within the, the society, the group. And so they will put on a race if there's a town that has no race so that in it, in the half, they'll time it. It'll be official. It has to be at least one mile. So, and they might put it on, um, on a track or maybe in a, um, a, a trail somewhere. And they and those will count, and it kind of helps a little bit for those towns that have no races. That's yeah, I'd official. say that the ones you listed were definitely elusive. I like that term. Yeah, yeah. What so, were some other towns that were hard to coordinate? Oh wow, yeah, there are quite a few. Um, but you know, the one that did surprise me the most was Middlefield. That one surprised me because it, you wouldn't think that that would be an elusive town. Neither but would I. Yeah. Right. And we have a few here on, I live um, in the northwest corner, so like um, maybe Kent, Salisbury, some of those areas are a little bit difficult as far as trying to um, come up with with races in those towns. And you've got to drive all this way. You've got to drive to Lisbon. Uh, You've got to drive to Union and Salisbury. And if you're in the northwest hills, uh, Salisbury's not that far away, but some of these towns don't have a direct highway and an exit that will easily take you to one of them. That is correct. And so, yes, there have been many towns that I had to run in wait before dawn, way before dawn, and drive an hour and a half to two hours to get to. And those are the far reaches of the, you know, the state, you know, like, um, what do you have there, um, Thompson, and, and even Stonington, and even Greenwich. Those are, those are far. Those are far. <laughs> so They are. Um, and yeah. traffic, too, depending on the time that you're doing this. Yes, yes. Um, traffic really isn't that big of a deal on the way there, but mostly on the way back, because people are pretty well still sleeping. Of course. Now, yeah. when you go and do this, Jackie, um, what's 
the motivator for this? Is it bragging rights? Is it something to do? Is it the exercise? What is pushing you to say, all right, I'm driving all the way to Stonington, darn it, and I'm going to race? What is driving me is the goal, the goal, the 169 pounds. And so you just say, okay, this town is coming up. You schedule it and you say, I'm going no matter what. And you do. And some people carpool and, you know, to get to these races and um, it's, you just go. And that's pretty much it. That's the goal is to get to the, your towns, all of them in. You must have made some friends doing this, I'd imagine. Absolutely. I've met the most amazing people. Of course, we all have something in common. Um, but it's really interesting because you get to meet people from all over the state. I mean, just they're so welcoming. You can be alone um, and go to a race and you'll be welcomed because we all, you know, oftentimes people wear their shirt. And so just you, they'll be welcome you in and make you feel comfortable. Do you have a least favorite town? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I think I do. And I think that least favorite town might be North Canaan. And there's a reason for that one. It's <laughs> Why? Can you share? Yeah, sure. It's um, done, I think it's in July. It's always really hot. I think the race is at 10. Um, it's very hot, and it's stinky. Um, like, there's, like, cows, and there's uh, this hill that you go up that's so hot, and then there's cows, and it just smells. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is the same race that we actually got stopped by a train. I got stopped by a train. I That's right. There's people, tracks there. Yeah. Eight people made it across the, the tracks before the train came. And the rest of us, we were in the mile one of the race. And I, uh, we all had to stand there and wait for the train to go. And, yeah, that was fun, though. That, that part was fun. But the, the trying to breathe in heavy while you're going up hills and then there's, you know, animals right next to the road that really stunk <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Well, tell you what, Jackie, we're coming up on a break, and I don't know if you want to stay on hold and do a few more minutes after the bottom of the hour, uh, after the next break. Uh, is that something of interest to you, or do you want to wrap this up now? Oh, I can if you want. Okay. Well, tell you what, as we go into the break, can you let people know how they can find out about the group that you're in, if anybody else is interested. And I don't know, I'm imagining other people can join in. Absolutely. Um, just go to www.run169thenumberstowns.org. Or you can just search on Google uh, Run169 and it'll show up and there'll be a, a button there to join. All right, Jackie, hang on. We're going to come back to you after the break and talk a little bit more about you're running across Connecticut and every single town doing races. Uh, I have a few bigger picture questions that I think that would be nice to share with other people in the listening audience on WTIC News Talk 1080. I'm Morgan Cunningham. It's Spotlight Connecticut. And if you're interested in learning more about me, about the show, Maybe you have an idea for the show. Find me on social media, at MC News Talk, Facebook, Twitter. Again, that's at MC News Talk. We'll be back. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. We could use some music on this very rainy Saturday. 
Unfortunately, though, I think we're used to these rainy Saturdays. Morgan Cunningham with you on WTIC News Talk 1080, back with Spotlight Connecticut and our guest for just a few more minutes. Jackie Scoville is her name. She has now successfully run a marathon, a race, in every single town in Connecticut, even though some of them are, as she calls them, elusive. (laughs) I love that term. And speaking of rain, Jackie, were there ever any races you had to do in the rain? Oh, plenty, yes. No fun, I bet. Yeah, and snow. (laughs) And sleet. (laughs) Oh, you did it in sleet, too? Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. You know, sometimes things happen in the middle of a race, and you don't expect it, and next thing you know, you're being pelted with (laughs) sleet. Oh, that's also true. So this is something that you're doing year-round. It's not just spring and summer, also fall and winter, too, huh? Correct, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Jackie, this is something that you've done successfully in every town, and I think it's important to highlight that you're doing it again. I am. I'm going to attempt it again. We'll see what happens. But yep, It took nine years to do it the first time, right? Correct, yes. Do you expect it to take that long this time around? Well, if I really put my uh, effort into it, it should take less. But um, I think it might take longer. Now, we were talking before the break and then during the other break that this is something that you do professionally, that you coach professionally. Um, You help people with running and other athletic activities. Could you talk a little more about that? Yes, I am a personal trainer, so I do help people with their health and fitness. Um, However, the running part of it was something that I did quite a few years ago. It's been a while since I've done it. Um, I just had a group that was called Learn to Run. And it was amazing how many people wanted to do this. And we started from square one on a track and just walking for five minutes and then maybe running or jogging for 60 seconds, which was a lot for some people, and then another 90 seconds of walking and then just repeating it for about 20 minutes and doing that three times a week. And then we built up over the course of nine weeks We would build up and add a little bit more on, less walking, a little more running. And then at the end of it, we all ran a 5K race. Did any of these people go on to race the way that you do? Yes, um, they did, actually, yes. I I know one person, she lives up in New Hampshire now. She um, was able to run and lose like a hundred pounds. She was an amazing. Wow. Totally amazing. And, and I'm not exactly sure she's still running right now, but she was, she was a, an inspiration to me. Um, um, another person that was at my gym at the time, um, Marty, his name was, he never ran before. He always called himself, um, uh, what did he say? He was, I was unfit. I was, um, never athletic. And then he started to run. And he is still doing um, races to this day. It must and make you feel good that you're able to help these people. It does. And the, the interesting thing is you don't realize that you see people progressing on a weekly basis. And you don't realize it until they finish that 5K and they come underneath that, that finish line. It, the chills and the excitement for that person is just, it's just as, I don't know, it just really warms my heart, you know, to see that they've been able to do this. 
and it, they feel so proud of themselves, and I'm proud of them. It's a wonderful experience. What would you tell somebody if they said to you that they're interested in being a better runner or learning more about how to run, anything like that? If they expressed that desire to reach that goal or develop a goal with you, what would you tell them? Well, I would start with where they are um, and then work up with that. If they've never run before and they just wanted to start, I would definitely be able to give them the program that I just explained, because that is like the very basic beginnings of how to do this without getting injured. If they've been running and they have, um, you know, some experience behind them, then I would probably add um, maybe some long runs or maybe um, some speed work or hill training um, and then a progressive um, overload each week and then cut it back every fourth week, and then keep going until they reach their goals of whatever their goal is. Years ago, a personal trainer had said to me that you don't want to overdo it, especially when you're new at something, but true for anybody who might be even an experienced runner because you can overextend yourself, you could get hurt by overusing your muscles and your body. And so if you're beginning at this, uh, I believe you had said that you recommend every few days, um, but having a period where you're basically cooling off correct? Yes. Yes. You have to have rest days in order to get better. That's when the body builds, when you rest. You have to rebuild the the fibers um, that have been broken down from the workout or from the run. Especially if it's like a a hilly run, you're going to be really working a lot of different muscles that need rest. So it's important. Jackie, in our final few moments here together, what does your daily routine look like? Because here you are again, you're going to be racing in every one of Connecticut's 169 cities and towns and municipalities. So what does your practice routine look like for you? Well, over the years, that's really changed a lot. Um, Right now, what I'm doing is I basically, I'm kind of a very casual runner right now. I'm not pushing anything because I didn't listen to my own advice, and I did get injured back in 2014, ended up severing my um, hamstrings and having to have surgery and learning to rewalk all over again. So I, I, you know, like maybe 10K is my max right now. I might get up to a half marathon again, which is 13.1 miles, but I've been going carefully. And so what I do on a daily basis in the morning, I do my trainings, my clients in the afternoon, I usually will either work out in the gym or I'll go for a run. It's usually not, you know, sometimes it's just three miles. Jackie, I'm curious because we broadcast every year, WTIC Radio does every year from the Manchester Road Race on Thanksgiving morning. Are we going to see you there this year? Chief, you know what? I don't think so. I, I might, but uh, I have done it. I have done that race. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a fun race as you know, and it's so colorful and fun to watch all the people running up that hill in the first mile. It's, it's a, it's a fun race. Um, it's logistically difficult on Thanksgiving uh, morning for me living over here. Um, but I, every time I've done the race, I've really enjoyed it. Jackie, any final thoughts that you'd like to share with everybody? Get out there and do it. And if you want to join run 169, we'd love to have you. And mention my name. All right. Jackie Scoville is her name. Thanks for coming on Spotlight Connecticut. And reach out to me 
after you have successfully completed round two of Running Across Connecticut, okay? I will. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate having you on the show this week. Jackie Scoville is her name. Run 169 is the group that she's part of. Can you imagine that? Running a marathon in every town in Connecticut. This is WTIC in Hartford. Hi, I'm Justin Rocky Hill, and I'm listening to Spotly Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Ah, uh, yes, the Manchester Road Race. We talked a little bit about it before the break, and it just dawned on me that that's, I can't believe it, about a month away. About a month away from Thanksgiving Thursday, the big race morning. You know, last year was my very first year going to the Manchester Road Race, and it was right around the time, actually, that Spotlight Connecticut launched. So we've got a big anniversary coming up for Spotlight Connecticut and also the Manchester Road Race, um, which we have been doing year after year after year every Thanksgiving morning. Um, We're proud to be partners with the Manchester Road Race. I went there for the very first time last year as part of our broadcast team, and I've got to tell you, it was so much fun. And I'm not a runner. I have tried before to run. I can walk jog, which is kind of what Jackie was describing a little earlier about how you walk a little bit, then you run a little bit, then you walk a little bit. I can do that. Um, But as far as doing a marathon, I just don't think that my body was necessarily built for that. Um, Don't necessarily have a desire to do it either, let's be honest. But I think that what's so cool about the road race is that when I get there, it's about 4.15, 4.30 in the morning, very early. And I can see that there's minimal activity. Some police vehicles, some DPW, Department of Public Works vehicles that are out there getting ready for the race, but nothing's really set up. Uh, There are some people there that are actually running it, just kind of as a test or warm-up. But as the four or five hours go on leading up to the race, you see it really build up and quickly. They have it down to a science. And last year I had the chance to walk around and talk with people who were spectators and talk with people who were racers and talk with the men and women setting up the actual race and the police department too. So it was was a lot of fun for Thanksgiving morning. Yes, indeed. And I think we'll be doing it again. I know we'll be doing it again on Thanksgiving morning. What I mean is I think I'll be part of it too. So you might see me running around with a microphone. If you do, you know who it is. Now, here's something that you can do really in the next week because this is kind of a timely activity. Um, Usually by the first week of November, these disappear. uh, And it does not necessarily require you to run or do anything crazy, but it gets you outside and you get to partake in some lighter exercise. Now, something else that I did this week while I was off is I went to far eastern Connecticut, little town called Griswold. And if you go to Griswold, you'd find the Buttonwood Farm. It's the farm that is typically well-known in the summer, around July, for growing all of those beautiful sunflowers that they generate for Make-A-Wish. And this year they generated nearly $130,000. So it was something like 126000 and change. Um, but call it just about $130,000. Impressive. Impressive that they're able to pull that off. But there's more to that farm than there is the sunflowers and the charity. You can buy their ice cream. They have a farm and they make their own ice cream. Some really exotic flavors there as well. Uh, In the fall, they have the corn maze. 
and the pumpkin patch set up for everybody. Now, it was dismal if you went out there and not just the Buttonwood Farm in Griswold, but pretty much every other corn maze that there was in Connecticut the last two years because there was not as much rain. And last year in particular, I don't think that Buttonwood Farm was even able to do a corn maze based on my recollection um, because it was essentially the dust bowl here in Connecticut with very little rain. So the corn had not been growing as high, did not get as thick. Then this year, okay, after we didn't get the chance to do it last year because of the extreme weather conditions that we had with the drought, this year, let me tell you, that corn, I think, is eight feet tall because I'm six foot tall, and there was at least another foot and a half, possibly two feet of corn on me. So I couldn't see anything. Couldn't. It was grown in. Um, you could always tell if you were on the wrong trail. This was helpful to a degree because weeds were growing because we've had so much rain, particularly on the weekends, which has not been helpful for all of these fall activities. And so you would walk through the corn maze and you'd see grass and other weeds growing and you'd know, okay, not down there because people had not been walking down that way. So you could kind of tell which path was more used and more walked on and more popular. Even still, it was a lot of fun. We never got out of it. Yes, I did run through the corn in an attempt to get into another row and try to find my way out. Uh, all I could find was the entrance again, and that's after an hour. It was a lot of fun. Got me outside, went with my mother. She enjoyed it, even though, again, we did not reach the official exit, but we made our way out of it. And talking with some people this past week and telling them about how much fun it was, a few people had told me, and I was surprised, that they had never been through a corn maze. So that's one. I know they're open for the next week. Buttonwood Farm, a great family activity in Griswold, Connecticut. You get out into the countryside a little bit. Just take Route 2 all the way to I-395. Head north on I-395 if you're coming from western Connecticut, that is. And uh, it's a few miles off from Exit 21 off I-395 northbound. And you can go enjoy that super tall and amazing corn maze that they have there at the Buttonwood Farm. And the other thing that I did this week was start reading. And I am not necessarily a reader for fiction. If I read, it's usually for something um, that has more meat to it, more information. I like some biographies if I'm interested in the person that it's about. I, uh, I like memoir, anything that reflects on something um, that actually did happen in history. The book that I'm reading is called Bob Steele on the Radio, The Life of Connecticut's Beloved Broadcaster, and it's by Paul Hensler. And the reason I'm reading it, other than the fact that I love Bob Steele and I love WTIC's history, is because we are preparing for the big anniversary of WTIC's 100th. And there's going to be a big broadcast campaign that starts next year. And I'm trying to be a little more tight-lipped about it because we're still working on some of those final details. But we will have guests on Spotlight Connecticut. We'll have excerpts during the week to help tell the story of why WTIC has been so iconic and historic in Connecticut for the last 100 years. Of course, Bob Steele is a big part of that. I've recorded thus far with his two sons, Robert H. Steele, the former Connecticut congressman and also the former gubernatorial candidate who lost to Ella Grasso back in 1975. 
And I also um, talked with his other son, Phil. I do have to talk with Paul, but hey, we're it's a work in progress. And the things that I'm learning about Bob and what people thought about him, it really is inspiring. And this book is fascinating. It takes you from when Bob was young and born and raised in Missouri and growing up in the Depression, his time in California, eventually his move east here to Connecticut, and how his job at WTIC almost never happened. It's a story that we'll get into on WTIC in the next year for those of you who might not know it or for those of you who do know it and want to remember it again. But if you don't want to wait a year, um, you can learn a little bit more from Bob Steele on the radio, The Life of Connecticut's Beloved Broadcaster. And there's a great section in the appendix of the book called Remembering Dad. And it's a perspective from Robert H. Steele, his eldest son. And this is a speech, a tra- this is a um, written text of the speech that his son delivered at Bob's funeral in 2002. And it really shares a completely different perspective on who Bob Steele was. And it answers the question, who was Bob Steele? Which somebody had written to the Hartford Current after he had passed away. And his son did his best to answer it, not only in the book Bob Steele on the radio, but also in our interview that will air next year on WTIC. Hope everybody has a great weekend. We'll be back next week to mark Halloween with a special show that I don't think will scare you, but it will definitely get your attention talking about ghosts in Connecticut. Whether you believe or not, it will be an entertaining conversation next week. Bye-bye. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080.